the law and the gospel as it relates to parenting. But I don't know, did y'all hear Tom talk about parenting in that last sermon? A couple times he applied it to parenting. I was saying, watch it there, Pastor Tom. Thou shalt not steal, Pastor Tom. In all seriousness, I am delighted to be addressing this topic. I am convinced that in times like our present time, we need the law and the gospel in our parenting. And so, let's ask God that he would bless uh, the preaching of his word. Father, we give you praise. You are our God. You are holy. You are worthy. And this is your word. Teach us now. Speak to us now by the power of your spirit, for we pray this in Christ's name, amen. We need to come to grips with the fact that the world will teach our children law and gospel. It just won't be the Christian law and gospel. Man cannot live without some kind of law and gospel. So in any given generation, in any given nation, you will have law, you will have gospel. You just won't have the true law and gospel. In other words, when it comes to law and gospel, there is no neutrality. You will have the Christian kind, or you will have the other kind. And the world in which we live is steeped in the other kind. And they have a discipleship program going on. That discipleship program is well-funded. So the question is not whether, but which. It is not whether your children will learn to obey, but which law will they obey? It's not whether your children will believe, but which gospel will they believe? It's not whether your children will serve God, But which God will they serve? The Bible speaks of the sons of Issachar saying that they knew the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. And this is applicable to our present parenting situation. If we would be wise parents knowing what to do now, then we need to know the times. We need to be like the sons of Issachar. For example, it would be one thing to raise children in Israel's united kingdom of Solomon. Then the temple was coated in gold. Then the sacrifices went up routinely, reminding Israel of sin and salvation. And it would have been another thing to raise children in the divided kingdom of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Then particular parental temptations would arise. But brothers and sisters... 21st century America is neither of those. We raise children in Babylon. We raise children in exile. And it is in this exile that the world teaches our children law and gospel. It's at this point that someone might claim that I'm fear-mongering, to which I would simply reply, boo. When the government is taking children away from their parents because those parents refuse to let their children transition to the opposite sex. Which has happened in these United States. 
when we murder nearly 900,000 children in their mother's womb every year. When grown men throw dollar bills at a scantily dressed boy at a bar, which has happened recently in these United States, and no one was arrested. When the government is considering drafting women into the military. When we educate children in every single subject according to a philosophy that says there is no God. It's fair to say that we are in exile. If the first problem is parents not knowing that we are in the ruins of a Christian civilization. The second problem is parents riddled with anxiety that this is the case. I mean, what parent hasn't had thoughts that I'm just going to hide little Johnny in his room. I'm going to pull down the shades. I'm going to protect him from the big bad world and lock the doors. But God hasn't told us to bite our fingernails in Babylon. He's told us to rebuild. Applied to parenting, the Bible refers to one's children as arrows. But arrows aren't meant to stay in the quiver. To do battle. So you don't protect children from false gospel by hiding them. You protect them from false gospel by giving them real gospel. Then you can send them out into the world to tear down strongholds. Doing that requires courage. And that's the basic idea of my message. Here in the ruins, parents must courageously raise their children in the Christian law. In gospel. I want to read Deuteronomy 6 as a foundational text for this sermon. So take a Bible and open there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read the entire chapter beginning in verse 1. There are Bibles provided in the seats if you don't have one. And if you're using those Bibles, you'll find this passage on page 151. Deuteronomy 6. You follow along as I read beginning in verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, 
then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst. He is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good, always, that he might preserve us all as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. Here in the ruins, parents must courageously raise their children in the Christian law and gospel. Notice it does not merely teach. My point is more than parents should simply teach their children the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed. Parents should do that. Let me say it again. Parents should do that. Parents must do that. Yes and amen. But the raise them up in part is crucial. Paul tells fathers in Ephesians 6, 4 to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. His idea was not simply catechism but an all-encompassing, enculturating in Christ, his gospel, and his law. To raise them up in Christ's law and gospel implies steeping them in it, baking them in it, showing them the truth, goodness, and beauty of Christ, his law, and his gospel. This flavor is in Deuteronomy 6. Israel was to do God's law. Notice how God's gospel and God's law marked every facet of their lives. They were to multiply. And this was in relationship to God's law and gospel. Verse 2. They were to enter the land and to possess it. Verse 1. They were to teach their children at all times and in various contexts. Verse 7. God's truth would mark their very bodies. Bind it on your hands. Verse 8. It would mark their homes, their doors, their gates. Verse 9. God's law and gospel related to their forefathers. That's verse 10. 
It had relationship to their cisterns, their vineyards, their olive trees. It related to their full bellies. Verse 11. God's law and gospel related to their past, their present, and their future. Their past slavery, their present enemies, and their future well-being. Verse 24. Israel's worldview was God's law and gospel. Their culture was God's law and gospel. And all of this was true as they entered the promised land to battle against the giants. As you step back from that text and you look at our own culture, you can't help but see the contrast. God's law and gospel is not our culture. It is not the air that we breathe. We are not marked in these ways. We don't have this worldview in our society and ever more so even in our church. Israel was to do God's law, but today talk about simply doing God's law is often called legalistic. Israel was to be fruitful and multiply, but today being fruitful and rearing children has been detached from fulfilling God's purposes in the world. Israel was to enter the land and possess it, but today Christianity is often lived at 10,000 feet without application to vocation, tradition, education, and civil life. Israel was to teach their children at all times and in various ways, and yet society is structured so now that Parents have little to no time to do that teaching of their children. Israel marked their bodies with God's truth, but today there are attempts to identify ourselves with our transgressions. Israel's homes were set apart by God's standards, but our home life has blended in with the world's. We've lost our appreciation for our forefathers in the faith. We drink from cisterns and eat with full bellies but do so without thanksgiving because we don't know who to give thanks to. Because in Babylon, oranges just grow on trees. Bananas just sprout forth of their own accord. Cows just beget cows so you can have more steak. But don't ask about that great one behind it all that is meeting that need that you have in your belly. We don't talk about him in Babylon. He does not exist. This is the world that we're in. Because God's truth marked Israel, they knew their enemies. But there is an increasing confusion in our day concerning who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. Israel understood their past and future in light of God's law and gospel, but our children are being brought up storyless. They're like a blank piece of paper, and they can even get to write their own story rather than serving their place in God's story. It's in times like these that Christian parents really do need to build and fight. They must courageously raise their children in the nurture of Christ, his law, and his gospel. Doing this requires certain things of us. So with the time remaining, I want to point to four things Christian parents must do if they would raise their children in Christ's law and gospel. Number one. They must fear God. They must fear God. Moses refers to the fear of God in these verses. Verse 1 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, 
And listen to this phrase, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Israel was not merely to pass down God's commandments from generation to generation. They were to pass down the fear of God from generation to generation. Which implies that you simply cannot raise your children in the Christian law and gospel without the fear of God. You can't do it. It's impossible. Because you will fear something. Even when it comes to fear. It's not whether but which. It's not whether you will fear. You will fear God or you will fear man. And how many times do we see this in parenting? How many parents have corrected their children out of the fear of man? How many Christians have taken God's law and brought it down on their children? In a strict, vicious, self-centered way because they fear what someone else thinks about them. Or how many times have we tried to employ the law and control them because we're fearful about what will become of them in the future, what they will become or what might happen to them. It is the fear of man or it is the fear of God. We must fear God. In other words, if parents are to raise their children in the Christian law and gospel, they can't raise their children in something they themselves are not in. You can't do it. We have to trust Christ. We have to believe Christ. We have to love God's law and obey God's law because we fear him. And this is where the conviction lies. This conference is not about mere promises and commands. It's about the God who makes promises and commands. It's about God's gospel and God's law. And because we are so pragmatic, what we want in our parenting is give me tips, give me tips, give me tips. Give me the parenting guide. Give me the seven easy steps to figure out how to make sure my child you know, doesn't kill himself. But that's not the Christian way. And God's law will not be turned into some kind of practical tool for us to employ. It's God's law. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. They belong to God. They're created in the image of God. And we are to raise them up and teach them about this great God. About his law, about his gospel. And very troubling things happen when we try to teach law and gospel without the fear of the Lord, we end up distorting the law. And we end up distorting the gospel. We will distort one of the functions of the law, which is to drive us to Christ. We should teach our children God's law and the fear of the Lord so that they see their desperate need for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that they see the holiness of God the transcendence of God, the requirements that he has put upon mankind. But if we detach it from any sense of who God is, of his presence, of his reality among us, well, then it's just ten rules. It's just ten 
boxes that I'm supposed to check because dad and mom told me to check them. That's not going to expose them in their sin and show them that they need a savior. And you can't manufacture that on your own. You can't fake the fear of God. We need the fear of God. We need God to work by his spirit through his word so that we sense his holiness and that we have reverence that he answers the prayer. Hallowed be your name in me. And then I'm going to conduct myself as a father who fears God. And my sons and my daughters are going to see a man. They're going to see in my wife a woman who fears the Lord. And then, yes, this makes sense. This is almighty God and this is his law. This is his standard. Without the fear of God, we will see his law as arbitrary and legalistic. And we will pass on that view of his law to our children. Gerhardus Voss expressed the idea well when he said this. Legalism is a peculiar kind of submission to God's law. Something that no longer feels the personal divine touch in the rule it submits to. That's terribly powerful because we often think of legalism as simply adding laws to God's law. And that indeed is legalism. Or sometimes we think of legalism as, well, keeping the law. I'm not adding any laws, but I'm using the law as a way to get made right or to be justified before God. And that too is legalism. But notice this. You can actually have the right law there and you cannot be using it in order to be justified before God. But you can just be presenting that law without any sense of the fear of God. Where Sinclair Ferguson says you detach God's law from himself. And then we perpetuate this legalism from generation to generation. Parents must cultivate homes in which God is known and loved and his standard is known and loved. Without the fear of God, we will see his gospel as lukewarm at best and therapeutic folly at worst. Think about the gospel. Jesus Christ slain for us. What business has a bloody cross in salvation if God is not a God to be feared? It's the folly of the cross. It's what the Gentiles say. And we're surrounded by Gentiles. Gentiles in the sense that the people that don't know God, don't fear God, don't acknowledge God. And therefore, your bloody cross just seems silly. I don't need a cross to be reconciled to my creator. Because we've spoken of the creator as if he's but a man. We've spoken of the creator as if he is common. The Bible says he's altogether not like us. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And sons and daughters, listen to me. This creator is an awesome God. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is a consuming fire. He makes the mountains smoke. He makes the trees sing. He makes the deer give birth. His voice breaks the cedars of Lebanon. This is God, your God, your creator. And we're not him. And we need the bloody cross that we might be reconciled to him.
So if we would raise our children in Christ's law and gospel, then we must fear God. Number two, if we would raise our children faithfully, then we must possess the land. The land plays a prominent part in Deuteronomy 6. Moses said God told him to teach his statutes that Israel might possess the land. That's verse 1, verse 18, verse 23. This land would flow with milk and honey. Verse 3. God would bring them into the land. Verse 10. Now, we're New Covenant people, so nobody get nervous. Okay? Go read Sam Renahan's book, The Mystery of Christ, His Covenant and His Kingdom. While in the New Covenant, we are not looking to secure the physical land of Canaan. It is still true that the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. It is true that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. It is true that Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth. It is true that Jesus shall have the nations as his heritage and the ends of the earth as his possession. These things being true, we must believe Christ's gospel and obey his law with our two feet firmly planted right here. On the ground. We must live it out. There are far too many Christians living disjointed lives. There's a theoretical commitment to Christ, but a lack of faith and obedience in real time. Our aim is not merely to get our children to believe an idea or to adopt our set of principles, it is rather to train them up to believe and obey the King. Of this world. And his name is Jesus. We and our children are facing an ever increasing attempt to unrealize Christianity. You can have it. The world says. But only in imaginary form. You can do whatever you want within your own four walls. But don't bring it out here into the public square. It was becoming common only a few years back to speak of freedom of worship rather than freedom of religion. You're free to pray, but don't come out here exercising your religion. But our children will have to obey Jesus in their vocation. They will have to trust Christ when threatened with losing their jobs. I believe we've lost something here when it comes to God's law and gospel in the land or on the earth And that loss has a troubling effect on our parenting. I remember reading an article recently that was about some legal decision in relationship to LGBTQ issues. And whatever decision was being made in regard to sexual identity and orientation, whatever statute was coming was going to have troubling effects for Christians here in America. And one of the advocates for this position said, everyone... Just relax. This, this will not impact your worship. Um, they said, you know, churches have spaghetti dinners at their facilities. And this decision won't impact anything you're doing with your spaghetti dinners. And I said, who in the world is this fooling? Have Christians lost their interest to such a degree 
of seeing the world one to Christ, that we would be okay with godlessness being advanced in the world so long as it doesn't touch upon our spaghetti dinners. I remember when missionaries dreamed about changing the very landscape of a civilization. They wanted mosques replaced with chapels. They wanted minarets replaced with steeples. It was Paul and the other apostles who made such a stir that the people shouted, these men have turned the world upside down. Our forefathers in the faith lived on the earth for Christ so as at times to shut down the very industry of idol making. And people think that we're going to be satisfied so long as nothing encroaches upon our spaghetti dinners. We need to teach our children that the earth and the world and the land belongs to Christ. And so we are to live in it according to his law and according to his gospel. Along with fearing God and possessing the land, we must reject idols. If we're going to raise our children in Christ's law and gospel, we must reject idols. Moses warns Israel that once they enter the land and enjoy their homes and vineyards, then they must be careful not to forget the Lord. Verse 14, look there, it says, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. Israel, of course, did just that. As they entered into the land of Canaan, they were Canaanized. They became like the people Around them. As the story goes on to the book of Judges and to 1 Samuel, we hear that Israel begins to request a king, which was perfectly fine, but not the way they did it. They wanted a king like the nations, like the peoples around them. We must learn from their errors. Things are a bit more challenging for us on this front. Had we lived then, it was clear which God was which and which sacrifices belong to which God. But the false religion around us today is sneaky, which makes it even more of a threat. We should not go after the other gods around us, even if they are more subtle than the gods of the Canaanites. In fact, we should make sure not to go after them, especially because they are more subtle. What is this false religion? It could go by many names. Secular humanism is a good one. It teaches that man is at the center of the universe. Man is his own authority. Man lives by his own law and his own gospel. He should follow his desires. He should be true to himself. And of course, he should believe in himself. Speaking of parenting, one of the best things that my father did for me, a Christian man, was to say, Jared, the world doesn't revolve around you. <laughs> I did not like that when he told me. But he was rejecting idols. He was rejecting idols. And in doing so, teaching me the way of God, his law, and his gospel. Christian parents must reject secular humanism and all of its fruit which means that you will be rejecting a lot of stuff because this humanism 
is the air that we breathe. Frank Sinatra taught us that we should do it our way. Aladdin took us on a magic carpet ride, saying, no one can tell us no or where to go or say that we're only dreaming. You know why no one can tell you that you're only dreaming? Because your reality is reality. God does not define reality. You have truth. It's your truth. All of that was baked into the magic carpet ride. We have been imbibing this way of thinking for a very long time. I was speaking with a Christian recently who makes films. He was working on a Netflix series for children, and it was about ninjas. And he laughed as he told me, He said, I have to go to all of the meetings with these secular producers because if I miss one meeting, I come back and there's some new character saying that Ninja Boy can be whatever he wants to be when he grows up. And I have to say, no, he can't. Ninjas can be strong. Ninjas can be brave. Ninjas can be fast. But ninjas cannot be whatever they want to be when they grow up. This is the ideology that has been passed down to us. Through many ways. And for a long time. That is the false gospel that we are steeped in. It's the false faith. That we must not go after. And to do this we must show our children. That such a gospel is no gospel at all. It cannot compare to God's gospel. I mean what a silly thing it is to believe in yourself. Very often you can't find a matching pair of socks. You say, what would your life be like if you entrusted yourself to someone who couldn't find a matching pair of socks? Son, that's a bad idea. How much better it is to trust God. Why, O children, would you want to grow up to be whatever you want when you could grow up to be what God wants? But watch this. Watch this. The response comes because we have been steeped in this for so long. Well, doesn't God want me to be whatever I want? No. That's the lie. That's the syncretism of the Christian faith with something that is entirely inconsistent with the Christian faith. God is God. We must reject the idolatry, the false faith that says there is no God. This is the point in a nutshell. If you're going to raise your children up in the Christian law and gospel, then you're going to have to reject the other kind of law and gospel. And here again, just like with the fear of God, we can't simply do that with our words. We have to consider the ways that I've been seeking after whatever I want. I've been quite disgruntled that I haven't become all that I thought I could be. In all the ways that we have adopted this and not exalted God as holy and sovereign. Courageously raising children in Christian law and gospel requires fearing God, possessing the land, Rejecting idols, and finally, remembering the Exodus. Moses knew that all of these God given traditions and statutes 
would spark questions in the children. In verse 20, he says, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The law of God throws us back to the gospel of God. And oh, how desperately we need that gospel. Because we hear that we're supposed to fear him, and we say, I haven't feared him how I'm supposed to. That's the standard, fear God. Every one of us say, I haven't feared him as I ought. And therefore, I haven't presented him as a fearsome God to my children. And I was supposed to possess the land, but I've been living at 10,000 feet and haven't been teaching my children how to obey Jesus in their daily lives and trust Jesus in their daily lives. I've fallen short of the standard. I'm supposed to be rejecting idols. I didn't even know the idols exist. I thought Aladdin was right. And in every way we've fallen short, there's a God who saves through his son, Jesus Christ, who has met every single standard of God. And we must remember him. We must remember what God has done for us in Christ. And so our children look at us and say, why do you do all these things, Dad? Why do we gather with God's people every Sunday? Why do we sing? Why do you catechize me? Why does mom speak respectfully to you? Why don't you have two wives? Why do we open our home to the needy? Why do I see you honor grandpa and grandma? Why do you discipline me when I tell lies? Why do you and mom raise me in this way? And we say, oh, my son, because God brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We were slaves there, stuck in our sin. But God told the one who tyrannized us to let us go, and when he wouldn't, God took us anyway. His son, Jesus, paid the price for us. And all of our old ways died with him. God's son has been raised. And we have been raised in him to live this new life. Fearing God. Living wisely in the world. Rejecting idols. And glorying in his gospel. We live this way, son, because our God redeems through his son, Jesus Christ. I want you to believe his gospel always. And be diligent to keep his commands. As I have feared him, you fear him. As you've seen me live out his way in all of life, so you follow me, son, as I follow Christ. As I pointed out the ways of falsehood and rejected them, so you see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And son, don't ever forget the exodus. Don't ever forget when the lamb was slain. And the blood covered us, and death passed over. That lamb has risen again, and his name is Jesus, and he saves from sin. You know, son, you've seen me fail. You know I'm not God. And you're not either. God is the one who brings us out of sin's slavery. He does so through the good news of his son, so that we might keep the good statutes. Of his son. So, friends, in times like ours, we must courageously raise up children for Christ. Given the evil days in which we live, we must cultivate the next generation 
in the Christian law and gospel. N.D. Wilson said it well when he said, The world is rated R, and no one is checking IDs. Do not try to make it G by imagining the shadows away. Do not try to hide your children from the world forever. But do not try to pretend there is no danger. Train them. Give them sharp eyes and bellies full of laughter. Make them dangerous. Make them yeast. And when they've grown, they will pollute the shadows. Christian parents, Christian grandparents, spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith, do not fret as we raise the next generation in Babylon. But take courage. Do with your little arrows what is always to be done with arrows. Having trained them, pull back the string and fire them out into the world that they would honor Christ, his law, and his gospel. Let's pray. Father, you are holy and worthy of our praise. We stand in awe of you as you have revealed yourself to us through your word. We confess that we have not met your standard. And we rejoice that Jesus has. We ask that you'd help us to run in the ways now of your commandments, trusting your son Jesus. And bless our children. Raise up the next generation to love and trust your son Jesus and make his name great in this world. For We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.